0: From stretch marks to self-love, talking out loud explores it all. Tune in to season two for real, raw relationship stories and advice. I'm your host, Danae Mercer, and I'm happy you're here. Welcome back, guys. Joining me today is Dr. Philippa K, a GP TV regular, author of Doctors Get Cancer Too, and the GP ambassador for Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust. She has the most incredible journey of being diagnosed with bowel cancer when she was just 39 years old. So today, she's going to talk to us about that journey, but also how it's impacted her relationship with herself, her relationship with her body, and so much more. Dr. Philippa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, I know you have such a powerful story, and you have obviously written a book about it. So why don't you tell us about your your journey, what happened, and talk to us a bit about your book as well. So
1: I am um, a GP. And I was sort of living my life the way that you do. um, And I did not have, unfortunately, symptoms which were typical of bowel cancer. And so my diagnosis was a surprise to everybody concerned, including my medical team. Um, And... In that very instant, when I lay back and had my colonoscopy and glanced up at the screen and saw my own cancer myself, my whole world essentially changed. And that's what happens when anybody goes through the trauma of a cancer diagnosis. Um, But it was followed very quickly within about a week with major surgery, um, which required a stay in intensive care, and then six months worth of chemotherapy. And then after that, whilst we crossed our fingers and hoped everything was done, unfortunately, just before the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, more lesions were found in my um, abdomen. And I had two surgeries during the pandemic, the second of which was a 15-day stay in hospital and 10 days in ICU, all alone, because that's how hospitals work in a pandemic, um, which was obviously extremely daunting and difficult. But thankfully now, I am cancer-free. And I wrote the book. The book is my diary. Um, And I wrote it not to be published at all. I wrote it because I couldn't not write it in a way. So I've written lots of books. I write for the press. And writing is a way of organizing my thoughts. And I wrote the diary as literally an emotional vomit on the page to try and get some order into the chaos that was inside my head. Um, And it took me a really long time, at least six, nine months to even consider publishing it. And even now, when the first book proofs arrived and my husband picked one up and then said to me a few hours later, I'm reading it, I was like, oh, I'm not sure about that because it's so incredibly, incredibly personal that someone I know reading it somehow seems almost sort of more intrusive than someone I don't know. But essentially, cancer is a lonely journey. No matter how many people you are surrounded by, you can go to everybody, to appointments with anybody and everybody, but the truth is is that you walk into every scan, every blood test, every surgery, every procedure, every glimmer on your own. That other people cannot truly know what's happening to you. And I just hope that the book will make some people feel less alone on their own journey. And for everybody else, because one in two of us is gonna be affected by cancer at some point in our lives, which means we all know somebody with cancer somewhere. I hope that it helps you understand what's happening to them, and therefore, how best to help and support them.
0: That's such a a beautiful goal, and I can totally understand what you mean by having someone close to you read it or see it. It almost feels more intimate than a, a complete stranger. I, yeah. I mean, I I feel that way sometimes with um, some of the stuff I talk about on social media, which is pretty raw. It's very personal, and when a when a friend reads it, it, it feels very vulnerable. But for for you getting this diagnosis, going through treatment, I mean it's it's one thing to do that as your average citizen. But to do it as you know, a professional medical doctor, that's an entirely different experience. Like how was
1: that for you? Hard (laughs) is an understatement. I think that I think there's a few things. First of all, doctors think that they should be super patients, and I don't know why we think this, but we sort of do. We think that our knowledge should somehow make us better able to recover, should make us quicker at recovery, and it's sort of drummed in not to take a day off work and all these other things which aren't healthy. Um, but we somehow think that our knowledge should be able to overcome our bodies but our bodies are the same as everybody else's bodies <laughs> um, our minds are too um, and so you have this sort of constant battle in your head and for me i have spent my entire life really firmly believing that knowledge is in power it, knowledge is power and firmly choosing my career path to try and educate and empower as many people as i can about their bodies and that's why i went into the media and that's why i you know went into journalism was to try and help translate what i call medicalese into english to help people understand their bodies And then suddenly, here I was, and the knowledge wasn't always helping me because doctors are always trained, what next? If plan A doesn't work, what's plan B? If plan C doesn't work, what's plan D? We're trained to weigh up risks and benefits constantly in our head and work with the numbers constantly. And they weren't always in my favor. And sometimes there were no easy answers. Both questions had risks attached to them. Both answers would have risks attached to them. And sometimes it wasn't useful to be thinking 20 steps ahead when nobody knew what was going to happen 20 steps ahead. We only knew now. And I remember being in ICU and things going off, watching my own cardiac monitor, going haywire. And some part of my head was still saying, somebody checked my potassium level. I'm going to need an infusion of blah, blah, blah. Um, And the rest of my head was screaming, I'm terrified I'm terrified. And and that real sort of dichotomy between essentially what is a calm and collected doctor because that's what we're trained to be and a frightened patient. And that was a battle that that happened the whole way through.
0: My gosh, that sounds so difficult and very very delicate I imagine to navigate because on one hand you're this incredible expert and on the other hand you're you're a, a woman and a human dealing with cancer which is so challenging
1: and I think that for me it was about being able to give up control to people I trust and my mm. medical team understanding that whilst I need to hear everything sometimes I would say to them you have to decide don't don't make me feel even for one second that I've decided Whatever question it is, because if it's the wrong choice or a delayed choice or whatever, I'm not sure that I can manage that. So you need to decide and being able to say to my team, this is what I need, but also my team recognizing when I needed that as well. Um, And I think that for lots of people when they have cancer, because cancer tries to come and take everything away, giving up control when sort of control might be all you have is exceptionally difficult to do.
0: It's really interesting hearing you say, essentially, you you set boundaries. That's one of the ways that you proactively protected your mental health during this time. Are there other things that you leaned into that helped you mentally navigate everything that was going on? Lots. Um,
1: Firstly, therapy. Uh I'm completely open about the fact that I have been accessing psychotherapy since probably a couple of months after my diagnosis um, and that has been incredibly helpful and I actually I've always thought that most most of us could do with a bit of therapy at some point just to give us tools as to how to manage um, but also a greater understanding of ourselves so I think that that's been essential and if that means for people so in the UK uh, you can go to your NHS GP and um, there are self-referral systems into psych- psychological therapy um, there there are charities that will offer group therapy or individual therapy, um, and you can access it privately as well. So whatever way that you can access a safe place is very useful. Um, the second thing that I found extremely helpful was, was physical activity. Anything that got me out of my head and back into my body, essentially, something that turned the thinking off um, was, was really good. And finally, I would say that for me, actually going to work was very protective. Because as I said, cancer tries to take everything. And parts of those things for me are being a doctor and a wife and a mother and a sister and a friend and an ambassador and whatever else. But every conversation in all of those roles, apart from doctor, would be about cancer and what was happening and how I was feeling. But I'm still the same person that I was before. And that person likes shoes or, I don't know, what's on television and, and, and all those other conversations yes. and those get lost. And therefore, some of your identity gets lost. But at work, I could focus on somebody else that wasn't me. And at work, I could still be Dr. Philippa Piquet, who I worked my entire life to become. And so for me, work was very protective.
0: It's so interesting hearing you, I guess, talk about those different roles and how cancer tries to Take it from you, as I mean my my mom was ill for six years. With um, at first they thought it was cancer, but it, it wasn't. But it it had a to some extent a similar play out. And one of the things I know she struggled with was her body image because her body changed so much and. Mm-hmm. She that was very, very difficult for her, just the the side effects of being sick and being in, she was in ICU for a long time and, you know, bit, losing a lot of weight and everything that happened. So would you mind talking to me a bit about how your relationship with your body shifted
1: or if it did and how you handled that? So I think that most people are, um, my relationship with my body, and I am lucky that I have a body that fits in with societal expectations, right or wrong, um, has. I've still been influenced by all those influences and adverts and messages. I'm, I'm a woman who's now 41 years old and, and those messages have have been there my entire life about thinner equal better or prettiness having value um, as opposed to what's going on inside your head. So I'm, I'm not immune to all of those things. The first thing was before the cancer, I had learned to look at my body with pride and my body was pockmarked with scars from three cesarean sections and other surgeries but my cesarean section scar even though every time they cut into it the switch of the, the tuck above gets tighter and tighter so you get like a shell and that scar gave me my babies because my body gave me my babies and and so I could look at that with not just peace but with pride and then my body came to get me and it was really hard to separate me from my body as such and if you sort of would say where are you in your body I would say that I was in my head and my body the rest of me came to try and kill me and that was incredibly difficult never mind what it looked like it felt that it was out to get me and it took me a long time to separate the cancer from me the cancer from my body. And the fact that I was found to have a genetic um, cause for it made it made that even harder. My genes, my body coming to get me. And it's taken a long time for me to realize that actually that's not me. I didn't choose to have those genes. I didn't choose to have the cancer. It was something that happened and to separate those things. And yet I went into hospital knowing that that uh, I was going to have many more scars, um, and I lost weight initially. But during chemotherapy, I put on a lot of weight, and I really struggled with it, primarily because no one told me that this could be something that happened. So whilst I understood steroids can make you put on weight or Mm other drugs, in the huge long list of side effects, it didn't talk about weight. And I remember mentioning it and saying, you know, no matter what I do, it's not that I'm hungry or not hungry. I'm gaining weight. And, and the oncologist said, that's because you're on XYZ. I was like, oh, well, if you would have just told me that, then I would have viewed it more like pregnancy weight or something, because I was very aware that being a healthy weight, being physically active is going to help my recurrence risk is going to decrease my risk of developing a new colorectal cancer and my risk of that is higher because of my genes. Um, And so that would have been useful. And now it still is taking me time to look at my new scars and bearing in mind after my last surgery I am cut from underneath my breastbone all the way down um, to my pubic area like a zip. Um, It's hard still to look at those with pride. But I'm beginning to realize that these are a marker of the resilience of my body, that no matter what's been thrown at it, no matter how many surgeries, no matter how big the surgery is, no matter the chemotherapy, that my body is resilient. And that's what's amazing about it and that I can work my body butt off to get myself back physically fit because it is hard to do so but I do it because it makes my body strong and so when my eldest child said to me just a few weeks ago he said do you think we'll ever be able to go on holiday again (laughs) mummy I said I hope so and he said but you know maybe you're gonna have to get rid of your bikinis and I said why and he said because of all the red lines and I said those are my red lines and I get to choose. No one else gets to choose. He said, but do you think other people will know? And I said, I don't care. And so to be able to give him the message, to be able to tell my daughter and my sons, actually, these are marker of how strong my body is and that we need to be proud of them is something that I want to give. Just think that it takes a little bit of time to get there.
0: Those are such powerful words. I mean, I, Again, my my mom was very sick, and she had um, pretty big scars on her. Yeah, it was down the middle of her chest, and right. I know for her that was a long a long point of embarrassment. So, I think for her to to have heard words like you just said that that could have changed her opinion so much. And I know that's exactly what you're doing for women. Is there is there anything you do like any activity, whether it's Sometimes if I'm struggling with my cellulite, this might sound silly, but I take lotion and I will like rub it onto my hips and I will try to think nice things to my legs. Do you do anything tangible that maybe a woman who is also navigating healing from scars
1: could perhaps implement herself. So, so I I do think that being able to take some kind of action gives you back control. So when cancer tries to take that away, that you whatever it is that you can do to take it back. So, for example, I have a port scar on my chest, um, and that's visible in in tops and in clothes, um, and that's fine. I don't mind. But I wore a silicone. Um, piece of tape over it, not because I want to hide it, but because a silicon tape can flatten skulls um, and make them less red. So I wore that for a period of time. So sort of taking some control over it, um, mm-hmm. it definitely helps. When it comes to um, my, my sort of relationship with my face, that's actually, it's, it's quite strange because after my first day in intensive care, when I left intensive care and I went to the bathroom for the first time, because you don't go to the bathroom if you've got a catheter in and your bowels have gone to sleep because they've had surgery. Um, And it was probably about a week until I was off intensive care and able to have a shower and stand in the bathroom. And I looked up at myself in the mirror and I suddenly thought, there you are, your skin is gray and your lips are chapped and your hair is, you know, slipped back. But there you are, I see you, I recognize you. And when we were talking with the oncologist about whether or not I I was going to lose my hair, for me, it wasn't about losing your hair or not. It was about being able to look in the mirror and say, I see you, you're still in there. And some of that is wrapped up in your hair and about how wearing a scarf would identify me as a cancer patient straight away or as somebody with something straight away. And I didn't want that to be the first thing That somebody thought about me I wanted them to think oh I don't know she's funny or she's intelligent or I want to know her more not the first thing to be cancer Um, and as it so happens the kind of chemotherapy I had made your hair very thin it didn't all fall out but to be able to look in the mirror and say "I, I see you was really important to me and so as somebody that was not particularly into makeup, I'm someone that, you know, won't put it on every day, I put it on to go out with my friends, I put it on to go on television, um, but you know, not to go to work, putting it on to be able to go onto to the news or to be able to go on television made, it was much more about putting on my war paint, putting on my armor, putting on that persona, because I remember that person because that person doesn't have cancer. And that was hugely valuable for me. And it might've just been a slick of red lipstick, but it was a slick of red lipstick that made me remember who I was.
0: My gosh, I want, this is the kind of like makeup campaign I want to see. That is so beautiful and so (laughs) empowering. And my, I just got chills over here. (laughs) What what do you wish you would have known before your journey started? Like if someone, if a woman's listening and she has just been diagnosed with cancer or someone that she loves has, what do you wish you
1: would have known? Oh, I'm going to get upset. <laughs> um, two things. First, that you don't have to go in skipping and jumping and laughing, um, that it can suck and that's okay, that you can be angry, and that's okay. You can be sad, you can be raging, and you still go anyway. And that bravery is not about running in saying, here I am, do what you want. Bravery is not about that. Bravery is about dogged perseverance, and just keeping going, even though you don't want to. And you can go in kicking and screaming, but you go and there's this idea about positivity and the need to be positive all the time. And I think it's really toxic because actually what I need, I need for you to listen how shit it is right now, excuse my French, um, how bad it is, because if you can just sit with me in that, then I will feel less alone in it. I do not have to be happy <laughs> about it all the time. I just have to keep going. So that would be my first thing is that perseverance you know, doesn't have to be all sweetness and light. And the second is huge for me. The second was that I discovered that I was enough. And I discovered that in the middle of the pandemic, on my own in hospital, when I thought, well, how can I do this? How can I do this without my husband? How can my kids do this without being able to come and see me and seeing with their own eyes that mummy is still here? How can I do this without my mum? How can I? And I learned that I could, that I'm enough and you're enough. And that's all that really matters is that you keep going and that you understand that you're enough.
0: Wow. Wow. Gosh, you can hear the the passion and the strength in your voice. And I think what you have gone through is difficult at any time, but I think especially now, now it's so hard what you've had to navigate and, Honestly, Dr. Philippa, I'm so thankful that you've written this book and that you also came on the show today just to talk a little bit about your journey. Where can people find you if they want to find out more or have a chat? Yeah, so um,
1: I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at at, at Dr. Philippa K. Um, But the book is called Doctors Get Cancer Too. Um, It is available online. It's available online. online in the states as well as in the uk um but you they might be sending it from england but it is available all around the world and um, it's published by vvie and it's currently priced at 8.99 and it's out on february the 11th but all good online places and i wish that one day we'll all be able to go into bookshops too and it will be
0: there oh gosh you and me both i bookshops <laughs> are my happy place so. yes i miss them <laughs> me too me too well thank you so much that was so beautiful and so powerful and I'm I'm just grateful you took the time out of your day so thank you Dr. Philippa thank you for having me guys remember to click subscribe and go ahead and leave a comment down below if you like this episode there will be another one out next week I'll talk to you all soon bye